difference, gender through the eyes of a primatologist, Franz de Waal has a chapter 12 titled Same-Sex Sex, Animals Carrying the Rainbow Flag. He begins by talking about the Kyoto Aquarium in Japan that keeps an ongoing flowchart of romantic relationships among the penguins resident there. They do this because of how often these relationships change. On pages 284 to 285, he says, quote, The majority of partnerships are heterosexual, but some are homosexual. Due to its human baggage, homosexual may seem an odd clinical term to apply to animals, but the contrast between the Greek prefixes homo, or same, and hetero, or different, is convenient enough that they are often used, close quote. He goes on to reference one romantic relationship between two males who were together until they both fell for the same female, thus illustrating the potential for both same-sex and opposite-sex attraction. There was a time when homosexuality was considered depraved and immoral and best not talked about in polite society. But DeWall says this changed in part due to a story about penguins. I quote from page 285. All this changed in 2004 when the New York Times drew attention to two male chin-strap penguins at the Central Park Zoo in New York who hatched an egg together. Close quote. Apparently, the two penguins tried to hatch a rock together until the caretakers offered them a fertile egg from another couple. The resulting female chick was successfully raised by the two males. This is a clear demonstration of the potential for homosexual relationships among penguins and even for the potential for them to act as parents successfully. He goes on to say that it would be more accurate to describe these penguins as bisexual than homosexual as they broke up after six years and one developed a relationship with a female penguin. What this study of penguins demonstrates is that same-sex attraction is a normal tendency in animals and thus in us humans as well. The specific forms it takes in humans is further modified by our cultures and our ability to conceptualize and to make choices about which of our inborn tendencies to follow and develop. Dubois goes on to note same-sex behavior observed in monkeys in both zoos and the wild. Most seem to be temporary and occasionally related as much to consoling or emotionally supporting each other, but a few have been observed to be more long-term. Whether temporary or long-term, the many observations of homosexual conduct prove it is one tendency of sexual expression and that makes it normal. It is normal for us humans as much as it is for other primates, and indeed many species not very close to us in DNA, like penguins. One of the beliefs about animal sexuality that has persisted has been that it is purely functional for the purposes of reproduction. But DeWall notes how these beliefs when they lead us to think of normal tendencies as evil or immoral, can lead us to having 
unhealthy guilt trips. But this belief that sex is purely productive is belied even in the animal world. One of our closest DNA relatives, bonobos, is a clear example. As DeWall says, bonobos haven't been observed to exhibit exclusively homosexual relationships, nor do they exhibit exclusively heterosexual ones either. In both the wild and in zoos, genital-to-genital rubbing has been frequently observed, especially between females. Quote, a regular erotic pattern, he says on page 294, is the open-mouth kiss in which one partner places his or her mouth over that of the other, often with extensive tongue-to-tongue contact. He goes on to say, quote, Males will stimulate each other's genitals manually. One male with his back straight and legs apart presents his erect penis while the other loosely closes his hand around the shaft, making caressing up and down movements. The massage doesn't typically lead to ejaculation. Females also touch or poke each other's genitals but switch to genital-to-genital rubbing as soon as there is more sexual interest between them. They prefer a more symmetrical interaction, close quote. For these bonobos, there is a lot of eye contact, and they make sounds that denote feelings of pleasure. For female bonobos, tests of their urine after both hetero and homosexual activity demonstrates a higher level of oxytocin in their urine after sex with females than with males, a sign of a higher emotional affect. DeWall goes on to say about bonobo sexuality on page 295, quote, These findings run counter to the idea that heterosexual contact is the pinnacle of sexual activity that females preferentially seek each other out for sex and are emotionally more invested in it than in mating with a male fit the structure of a society run by a tight sisterhood. Female bonobos need to resolve conflicts and foster cooperation. Sex is their social glue. He goes on to say that this bonobo activity is utterly casual, and relaxed. He also points out that bonobo lives are not centered on sexual contact. There are many other ways of interacting they spend time in. We humans have so many taboos about sexual activity that it is harder to imagine sex as relaxed. We are still having difficulty seeing gay and lesbian sexuality as part of the normal in human life, and many people still have a problem with gays and lesbians who marry and form long-term romantic partnerships. The view of many that homosexuality is unnatural is disproven by our bonobo relatives where it is entirely natural in the sense of an inborn tendency that we have the ability to express or not, depending on our own personal makeup. DeWall goes on to talk about controversies about whether sexuality shows up in differences in individual brains. 
At some periods, people have been understandably afraid that such information would be used as an excuse to imprison or even, as under Nazi Germany, murder gay and lesbian people. At other times, some people have welcomed such information as proof that people are born with their sexuality and it is therefore natural. After years of controversy, a study was finally done by Ivanka Savic and Per Lindstrom at the Stockholm Brain Institute that focused on more general neural traits such as brain symmetry. On page 298, DeWall says, These brain features are fixed at birth and don't change with experience. Nevertheless, they reflect gender and sexual orientation. Brains of gay men are structurally similar to those of heterosexual women, where those of lesbian women resemble those of heterosexual men. The researcher concluded that, quote, these differences are likely to have been forged in the womb or in early infancy. Something similar has been found in sheep, where one in 12 rams shows a strong same sexual preference for other rams. On page 299, DeWall says, As in us, their sexual orientation seems to be reflected in the hypothalamus, which contains a nucleus that is larger in female-oriented rams than in ewes. In male-oriented rams, on the other hand, its size falls somewhere in between. In short, even though the brain cannot tell us with certainty what sexual orientation a person has, it does seem to contain a few markers. Like gender identity, sexual orientation appears to be present at birth or to develop soon thereafter. It is part and parcel of who we are. DeWall goes on to say that, though we are likely born with at least a strong tendency toward being gay, lesbian, transgender, etc., things are likely not all that simple. Genes certainly are involved. Homosexuality tends to run in families, and identical twins more often share sexuality traits than non-identical twins. But genes are not anything like the whole story we still do not understand to what extent our environment might affect these characteristics or other parts of ourselves, like so many molecules that interact with our genes, both in the womb and after birth, or how these two affect each other. Prejudice around gender identity and sexual orientation is irrational in the sense that these human characteristics are a part of the natural tendencies we humans are born with, as are our nearest DNA relatives and indeed several other animals. Prejudice around gendered identity and sexual orientation is irrational in the sense that these human characteristics are a part of the natural tendencies we humans are born with as are our nearest DNA relatives, and indeed several other animals. Whereas in humans, homosexuals have at times been treated with discrimination and various forms of violence, in apes this is not observed to happen. 
Those who exhibit these traits are accepted as part of ape society as long as the individuals involved are not themselves causing conflict. The point that DeWall is getting at is that there can be both a majority of people who fit into certain categories around sex and sexual orientation and a minority who, for whatever reasons, do not and all are normal in the sense of expressing tendencies that are built into us from birth. He also goes on to talk about problems with our categories of hetero and homosexual. This has led to misunderstanding of and discrimination against people who identify as bisexual. In fact, it is likely that we all have the inborn possibility for emotional, and sexual attraction to others, whether male or female. We also have the ability to create ideas, beliefs, and norms around all this that, along with our individual tendencies and emergences as adult humans, determines what we express in our own lives. In episode three, I related the story of the female-bodied chimpanzee, Donna, who acted very much like a male chimp in participating in male hooting and bluffing displays. Her hair was long like a male chimp's, and she could make it pilo or go erect to make herself look larger than normal during these displays like the males. Her menstruation cycles were often bloodier than other females, and her human caretakers sometimes had to give her iron pills because her lips would turn blue. She also engaged in grooming activities like the female chimps. She never was observed to have sex with either males or females. Donna was very different than all the other chips around her, yet she was fully accepted as one of the group. No other chimps made her the object of violence, and she was able to participate in group activities like all the others, even though she engaged in acts at different times that were mostly done by one sex or the other. As a transgender woman who was only able to come out publicly in 2008, I wish I had been greeted with the same acceptance by the larger society. Thank you for listening. If you would like to be notified of future episodes, please sign up on the contacts page of sacredgyre.com.